Welcome to Generation X Paranormal. Each week on this show, Nicole and I will break down a paranormal incident, story, or any other account. So join us and welcome to Generation X Paranormal. Being familiar with all our activities, that it was not a weather balloon, nor an aircraft, nor a missile. It was something else of which we didn't know what it was. They were just fragments strewn all over the area, an area about three quarters of a mile long and several hundred feet wide. So we proceeded to pick up the parts. A lot of it had a lot of little members with symbols that to me I call them hieroglyphics because I could not interpret them, it could not be read. They were just like symbols of something that meant something. These little members could not be broken, could not be burned. I, I even tried to burn that, would not burn. See, that stuff weighs nothing. It's not in there thicker than tinfoil in a pack of cigarettes. Says, I tried to bend the stuff. Says, it will not bend. Says, we did all we could to bend it. It would not bend. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Um, sorry we skipped last week. Uh, I was a little under the weather. Nicole was on vacation, so, you know, uh, we just decided to skip next week or last week. But we've got a big surprise for you guys this week. And if you've clicked on this, you already know what the topic is about. Um, and usually what I do is I try to lay down kind of a, I don't know, a, a real quick introduction of what we're doing and, and just sort of go from there. But, you know, this this particular topic I don't know that there's much introduction you can do about this. It's so there's so much information out there that honestly we probably could have made six shows out of this. <laughs> but but we want to we want to do its di- due diligence. It's going to take as long as it takes. Um, and it's of course the Roswell UFO incident. Now, the tricky thing about covering this incident is that there is as I said, there's an abundance of information. However, not everything is exactly the same. You see, there's so much that has happened within the years of 1947 when this actually occurred. Um, but it's just one of those things where either time or just people's perception of what happened in has kind of shifted a little bit. But um, but we're going to do the best we can to kind of dispel everything and just kind of give you as much information as we can come up or not come up with, but at least research and kind of go from there. Uh, so... Without further ado, let's kind of get started into it. In July of 1947, a rancher named W.W. Mac Brazel and a friend's son were driving across their ranch land. It was about some 80 miles northwest of Roswell, New Mexico. And that's where they encountered something they'd never seen before. While these ranchers were trying to drive their sheep, uh, they, they came across a, uh, well, in Brazel's words, a large area of bright wreckage made up of rubber strips tinfoil and rather tough paper and sticks and as a lot of a lot of animals would do with something that they are maybe afraid of they would not go near it the metallic looking lightweight fabric was scattered and shredded all across the gravel and sagebrush of the new mexico desert Razzle didn't know what to do with the newfound items or how they landed on the property so on july 4th he collected all the mysterious wreckage he could find and then on July 7th, he drove it all to Roswell, delivering the goods to Sheriff George Wilcox. And what's funny is Sheriff Wilcox, he wasn't uh, exactly overflowing with answers. He had no idea what this was. So he was 
He's pretty confused, so seeking answers, he did what I would imagine anybody would do. Uh, he contacted Colonel Butch Blanchard, and he was the commander of the Roswell Army Airfield and the 509th Composite Group that was located just outside of town. Blanchard, working his way up the chain of command, he decided to contact his superior, General Roger W. Ramey, commander of the 8th Air Force in Fort Worth, Texas. In addition to that, Blanchard also sent Major Jesse Marcel, he was an intelligence officer from the base, to investigate more thoroughly. Accompanied by the sheriff and Brazel, Marcel returned to the site and collected all of the wreckage, three-fourths of a mile long and a couple hundred feet wide of debris. That's a very large debris field. And it had been there for days, and no one was looking for it. They did the very best they could to figure out what the materials were. Marcel chose to make a, a public statement. On July 8th, Marcel's comments ran in the local afternoon newspaper, the Roswell Daily Record, alongside the heading stating, RAAF captures a flying saucer on ranch in Roswell. Now that's that was a pretty big statement, especially during that time. I mean, today it would be phenomenal, but even in those days, that was that was something huge. Um, so going on, the the body of the story contained dramatic, memorable sentence. It said, The Intelligence Office of the 509th Bombardment Group at Roswell Army Air Force Field announced at noon today that the field has come into and in the possession of a flying saucer. And of course, the very next day, the very same uh, department, they released a statement writing that, the many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the Air Force 8th Command Roswell Army Airfield was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through a cooperation of one of the local ranchers and the sheriff's office of Chavez County. The following day, the Roswell Daily Record ran a story about the crash and the RAAF's astonishing claim. But the U.S. Army official, officials quickly reversed themselves and on the flying saucer claim, stating that the debris was actually from a weather balloon. And then they released photographs of Major Marcel posing with the pieces of the supposed weather balloon, using the debris as some sort of proof. In a published statement from the War Department in Washington, they claimed that the debris collected on the Brazil Ranch was the remains of a weather balloon. And then, of course, the, the Roswell Dispatch morning's headline immediately read, Army debunks Roswell flying disc as world simmers with excitement. And this set the tale to the rest on July 9th. There would be a 1948 report from the government about what was now being called the Roswell incident. Now, if you thought that the, the Roswell incident was all by itself... Well, I, I hate to burst your bubble because there were some incidents that happened just before that. On June 21st, Navy Seaman Harold Dahl, I hope that, that's correct, uh, claimed to have seen six unidentified flying objects in the sky near Maury Island in Washington State, Puget Sound. The next morning, Dahl said he was sought out and debriefed by men in black. Wow. <laughs> Now, three days after the doll sighting, an amateur pilot named Kenneth Arnold said he had spotted a flying saucer in the sky by Mount Rainier, Washington. And if that wasn't enough, 
In southern New Mexico, over 70 sightings were reported days prior to the incident. And by the end of 1947, a mass hysteria had seized the global mindset, with more than 300 alleged flying saucer sightings in the last six months of that year alone. In 1950, Frank Scully, a reporter for Variety, he wrote Behind the Flying Saucers. It's a book that detailed alien encounters from the Pacific Northwest to the towns of Aztec and Farmington, New Mexico, where aliens were now said to be landing their aircraft in people's backyards. For decades, many UFO researchers were skeptical of the government's change of mind in their accounting, and in 1994, the U.S. Air Force released a report in which they conceded that the weather balloon story had been bogus. According to the 1994 explanation, the wreckage, came, the wreckage came from a spy device created for a until then classified project called Project Mobile. The device, a connected string of high altitude balloons equipped with microphones, was designed to float over the USSR detecting sound waves at stealth distance. Now, these balloons would ostensibly monitor the, U, or the Soviet government's attempts at testing their own atomic bomb. Because Project Mogul was a covert operation, the new report claimed a false explanation of the crash was necessary to prevent giving away details of their spy work. A little something on Project Mogul. Now, Project Mogul, Mogul was conducted out of Washington, D.C. and the Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, with some high-altitude balloon launches taking place in the high desert near the state's border with Texas. Now, typically, a Project Mogul balloon sent to the high altitude stretched 657 feet from tip to tail. That's 102 feet taller than the Washington Monument and twice as tall as the Statue of Liberty. As balloons rode on the upper jet stream towards Russia, a long tail equipped with different types of sensing and listening devices trailed behind. So, that is a whole lot of facts thrown at you over the last 10 minutes. And that is exactly what that is. That it, those are the facts that we know them as of today. So, with that in mind, all this great research had to come from a great mind. Um, and Nicole is here to set things straight. I'm sure I probably uh, did a little word salad there for you guys to mix up. And I'm sure I messed a few things up. But, um, but she'll be there to kind of pitch everything the right way. And nonetheless. So, here we go. Nicole, what do you, what do you got for us? Okay, everyone. So, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> This case is like opening up Pandora's box. Once you start getting into stuff and reading stuff, it is just, it just keeps going. Yeah. And I will say, before we decided to do this, I had always believed like 50-50% chance that there was a crash or it was actually just a covert operation because the government has done that before where, you know, they don't want us to know something, so they say it's something else. What, Which is less harmful to right. know, right? Yep. That aliens crashed. Right. Or there's a weather balloon. Weather you know? balloon. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to maybe flip back and forth here, um, talking about different people involved in the story. But there is so much involved. Yeah. So make sure right. you have time. <laughs> yes. 
Because once you start in, I mean, it's just, it, it takes a lot of time to kind of unbox it. It does. And we may Tarantino things a little bit where mm-hmm. we kind of jump back and forth because, uh, you know, as we, as we got this ready and I, and I helped Nicole out with the research, cause it was, as she said, it was just a ton of stuff. Um, some things were kind of out of sequence. So forgive us if we jump just a little. So I'm going to kind of start with the very first person. Okay. We've got the rancher. Mm-hmm. And when he found this, you know, he ran across it on his land. And, you know, he couldn't understand what it was. Sure. I mean, okay. he's, he's a rancher. Yeah. Yeah. And he decided, you know, I, I think he had it for a few days, actually. And then he was like, okay, well, I need to take this because it, it didn't make sense to him. Yeah. So he took it to the sheriff. The sheriff actually handled the pieces. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one thing that is seems to be the same from everybody talking about at least the metal part of it is that it was lightweight mm-hmm. and that when they tried to crush it, it would flatten itself back out. Yeah, that's just wild. So there's something there that's not of this earth. That's sure. something that they had never seen before. Well, that I don't did even not think make we sense. have that now. Well, no, but that didn't make sense to them sure. at that, that point in time. But there was also a mixture of that and like wood and, and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. So when Marcel comes out, Major Marcel, he collects a lot of the stuff. He puts it in a box, puts it in the back of his vehicle, but he goes home with it first. Right. Okay. He shows his kids and his wife. They handle these items. Yeah. Okay. So he shows his kids how, you know, it crushed and it flattened back out. And there was this wooden piece. And his son, remember at the time, said they looked like I-beams. But there was foreign writing on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. He he does this before he takes it to the base. Yeah. And guys, just to kind of piggyback on that a little bit, and I didn't necessarily cover this as much in my intro, but this is not an insignificant thing. This guy was an intelligence officer. Yeah. So for him to, 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 to deviate from, you know, from his core knowledge of what he's supposed to do for his job, he thought it, you know, he thought it monumental enough to stop off, wake his kids up and say, hey, check this out. Mm-hmm. So the next day he takes it to the base or maybe later that night. I don't recall, um, you know, and he gives it to his superior officer. Yep. And he looks at the stuff. Right. And so we know, you know, from the information that you gave, then he calls the next guy. Right. Chain okay. of command. Yep. yep. And they decide at that time to release the statement. Yep. You know, there's been a flying saucer because they know that's what it had to have been, yep. right? And then all of a sudden, Marcel gets called to Texas mm-hmm. by the superior officer. Was yep. it Ramey? Ramey, I think. Yeah, Ramey, yeah. And he goes, and as soon as he shows up and turns the stuff over basically he said well we're gonna you know make it have you make a statement we're gonna take your picture with the items so when marcel walks into the room of the items that he supposedly recovered they're not the items right it is actually pieces of a weather balloon and this man was forced to take these pictures and tell the people that it was a weather balloon that he collected and he was told not to say anything yep 
Yeah, he was told to keep his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. And I've been, uh, I've been on the receiving end of some of those one-way conversations. And they tell you, you don't open that hole between your nose and your chin about mm-hmm. this ever again. This is not the first time we will talk about this. <laughs> right. But, you know, he kept his secret for years and years yeah. and years. Now, we find out that he did tell some family members some things. Mm-hmm. You know, as he got older, he got more comfortable with, you know, living with the fact that he lied to the American people. Yeah. But he was an intelligence officer. He had lots of secrets. Yeah. Absolutely. But in his older age, he's like, people need to know that this this was all covered up. This yeah. is all fake. And there's interviews with him. You can probably go search it. Um, Marcel, Jesse Marcel mm-hmm. is his name. And he doesn't go into complete detail, but he does say that it, that there was a crash. He says that there was something there. It was not a weather balloon. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, folks, and... And I know we may, may touch a little bit more on this, but you got to consider what where we are in, in history and events. UFOs didn't really hit the register like they do now. This was still something really new for the world. Um, so when they initially, when, uh, when Blanchard did the initial uh, press release saying a, a flying saucer disc, Although somewhat uh, fantastical, was not as as outlandish as it would be today, um, because it just wasn't part of the of the zeitgeist of what we do, the you know, with paranormal and everything nowadays. That just didn't exist back then. No, no. So to kind of go backwards, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna flip Tarantino back a little bit. Yep. <laughs> so there are witnesses that said on July second, which is when they think this thing crashed. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was they remember that there was a very large thunderstorm. Yeah. Near Roswell, um, that whole area where the the ranch is, and they said that in between the thunderclaps, like there was lightning, and they heard like a huge like explosion. And when they looked in the sky, they saw like a glowing red light mm. and they saw something falling. Yep. Because they could never specify when they thought it actually crashed because he probably found it a few days later and it took a few days, you know, by the time he took it in and and all that stuff. Um, they don't know specifically the date of the crash. They just know when they went and collected things. Right. And and folks, if you've never been in the in the desert south southwest in July, and it happens a little bit more where I'm from in Arizona, but it doesn't mean it does not happen in New Mexico. But we have these things called desert monsoons. And um, <clears throat> if I can if I can go back in our way back machine of our relationship, uh, Nicole had never been through one. And we were moving out to Arizona and she got to see just exactly how powerful that storm can be. It's it's really like not anything that you've seen before. Now, you could have been through major storms and thunderstorms. But there's something unique about a desert monsoon. Well, yeah. Yeah. And we're leaving out parts of the story. I know. Why I'm doing I was it on purpose. <laughs> I'm doing it on purpose. We were moving. <laughs> and I wasn't just sandwiched. I was like three bread sandwiched in between three semi-trucks going over a bridge over a huge, like, <laughs> like drop. Yeah, it was a big drop. Yeah. And it's pouring rain. And I couldn't see him anymore. I only he. I thought he had taken off, and it really shook me up. It was really, yeah. really scary. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they can be pretty powerful, but to hear something like that they knew wasn't normal, yep. it caused them to look out at the sky. Yep. Okay, so 
We also know, if you know anything about Roswell, people always talk about the aliens, right? Yep. And this is something that I didn't know. Because I always thought, it doesn't make sense. They talk about the aliens and the craft and everything, but when they talk about the rancher finding the pieces... They never talk about him. You know, you'd think he'd walk up on that and he'd see <laughs> that and that would be the end of it. He wouldn't be questioning what it was. Right. right. Well, that's because there was a second crash mm-hmm. that they didn't talk about. Okay. And it happened about 40 miles away from his ranch. And what they think happened is it came down, mm-hmm. hit the desert. Mm-hmm. Parts of it came off, which yep. is where... Brazel's ranch was. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that he found. And then it flew another 25 miles away, 25 to 40. And that's where the actual crash was. Right. The impact site. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we have completely different stories from that. So as far as Brazel and the sheriff, they just saw like things that kind of fell off. Sure. Okay. So that makes more sense now. Sounds like surely he would have seen that. (laughs) That's not something you miss, right? Okay. So we have testimony of a firefighter. So I guess he responded to the, this second, they're calling it the second sight. Sure. And he recalls seeing a large disc in the ground. Okay. With several small non-human bodies nearby. Hmm. Yeah, that's. First of all, as a first responder, you know, you're you're always with that knowledge of, hey, where we're going, you could potentially run into casualties. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say you're desensitized, but you're you're kind of prepared for it. Well, yeah. So I don't know if this firefighter gets there and goes, OK, were those bodies burnt? You know, is it so badly mangled that they're just not? Well, but he knew. Right. By his statement of non-human, yes. he knew that it something. Right. Well. You see that in the ground. If he saw the, the, he knows that's not normal. Yeah. And military officials pressured him to keep Mm -hmm. quiet. This is going to be a repeated thing. Keep quiet. Don't say anything. Don't talk about this. Every single person that has been interviewed about this, that has witnessed statements, says the exact same thing. Some are a lot worse than others, um, depending on what they knew and what they saw. Okay, and then there was this Sergeant Melvin Brown who was on site um, during this mission to recover the debris from the actual crash site. So we're talking about the crash site. Right. So I'll try to specify that when I'm talking about this stuff. Maybe we'll just call it impact site. Okay. Um, he was told not to look under this tarp that was there. Okay. <laughs> and, but of course he's curious yeah. when you're just like a kid, if you're told not to do something, what do we do? We do it anyway. Our daughter Cause there's gotta the be time. a reason we're not supposed to do it. So <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. All right. When he peeked, he claimed he saw two alien bodies hmm. and the government of course, of course denies his claims. But for him, he's like, I'm the only person to say they saw you know, beings recovered from Roswell. He thinks he is. Right. Up to this point. Yep. That is not the case. <laughs> no, We've got more. Is not. Yep. Yeah. A lot more. All right. So on to the next witness <laughs> statement. So Sheriff Wilcox, the one that responded to the rancher, I guess he showed up at the actual crash site. Okay. 
wondering what was going on because I think he probably got calls that there was sure. stuff going on out there. And this is a statement from his granddaughter, Irene Wilcox, because he as well didn't talk about it. <laughs> okay. And he says, or she says that her grandmother told her the story of what her grandfather saw at the crash site. Okay. Okay. And the military was already there when he arrived and, of course, was not happy to see that the local (laughs) sheriff was there. He said he saw a spaceship that had been crashed and he saw lots of aliens, some dead, some walking around. Some walking Mm -hmm. around. He said that the aliens were dressed in silk-like suits and they had big eyes. (laughs) There's a... There's mm-hmm. a statement. The military took him back to his office. They surrounded him. And listen to the statement because you're going to hear it again several times. And a big red-headed colonel threatened to kill him and his kids and his family and possible grandchildren in the future if they ever told the story of what happened. Well... So that's Somebody a deep threat. Somebody had a secret to keep. Mm-hmm. And the granddaughter basically explains that her her grandfather kind of went nuts after this. Like he just, you know, and then they call, called him Crazy Sheriff Wilcox and all this stuff. So he, he suffered a lot after this. Because if you, you think about this, you're a local sheriff. You're known as a good man. You take care of the people because it's a small little town that he's taking. Because this is not actual Roswell. This is a town, right? you know, near the ranch. Let's just be clear about that. It's not. And yep. Roswell was still small at the time, but oh, yeah. this is even smaller. So back in those days, especially, it's like, um, oh, what's that old show? Black oh, Andy and Griffith. Huh? Andy, Andy Griffith. Griffith. Yeah. <laughs> so think about like Andy Griffith. Yeah. Okay. Andy Griffith. This this is this guy, and he walks up on this. He sees a, a spaceship in the ground and aliens walking around. Yeah. I what mean, would that do to you? Well, and then I, told you're not allowed to talk about it. You can't say anything. And if you do, we will kill you and your family. And I mean, you got to figure that's scary. He's a public servant. Yeah. And he, t- you know, I'm not going to say that in this day and age, you know, our, our sheriffs and, and our elected uh, elected officials don't care about people. But, you know, back then, especially in a small town, that was something to be revered. Mm-hmm. You know, so as a public servant, you see this and that's kind of your job. Your job is to. Is to go out to things like this, ascertain if it's a threat or not, if it's going to potentially be a threat to your community and act, you know? So, yeah, I would think that as a as a sheriff of a small town like that in New Mexico, well, hell, any small town, really, especially in that day, you know, that is, that is kind of in your DNA at that point, to be a public servant and to protect the people that put you there. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really actually, like, extremely sad. It is. You know? Um, I just, it just bothers me a lot to hear that, you know, because yeah. this is not the only story about this, like how, um, what's the word? Lay it on me. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of a perfect word for tortured. Yeah. These people were, because you hear it word. again and again, like, like I just talked about Jesse Marcel, like at the yeah. end of his life, he finally was like, well, I'm an old man now if they come kill me. Yeah, at that point. But well, at least I've said something. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I feel like that's kind of what, and he didn't, he doesn't go into detail and it's some stuff that I don't think we will ever know. Probably not. But enough to say that it was a cover up 
It was not a weather balloon. There were aliens. He got something out there. Yeah. All right, on to the next. <laughs> <laughs> Just a big, big opening mm-hmm. onion. <laughs> so the following people that I w- will be discussing are all, most of them, I'll say most of them, are all people that actually worked at the base. Okay. In different, you know, different clearances, of course. Like right. some of them were not high clearances. But one of these people is Frank Kaufman. And he was part of the recovery team at the crash site. Hmm. Okay. So he had said that there had been an, a UFO in the sky that they had been tracking. Like they didn't know what it was, if it was a plane or whatever it is. And they saw it go down. Okay. So they decided to go find it to figure out what it was. Because remember, at the time, they were worried about Russia, basically. The Soviets trying to do something. So Mm -hmm. that was primarily on their mind. Like, okay, they weren't thinking about aliens. They were thinking about, are the Russians here trying to do something? Because at that point in time, correct me if I'm wrong, we were the only ones to have the nuclear weapon. We were the only ones. No. Yeah. We and Russia only... was trying to get that intelligence from us, which right. is part of the reason we had the weather balloons and the. We had been the, the only ones at this point to weaponize it. Yeah, they hadn't quite figured that piece out yet. Right, so they're extremely worried that you know they're sending stuff over here, so they're going to go find out what this thing is. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when he arrives at the crash site, he sees. He says it's like. A craft, but part of the side was open. Hmm. Now, going back to what I said earlier, that there was two crash sites, and the first, they think it hit and then flew and then landed again. If that had happened, it could have torn the side of it sure. over, right? I mean, you got to figure it's coming in at such a high rate of speed. Right. I mean, you got to think about it in a in a much smaller capacity for skipping a rock, right? Yeah. And it's, if it's a flat rock, it hits first, mm-hmm. skips, and then mm-hmm. lands somewhere. That's basically what this thing did. So, yeah, if it if it hit its first spot like a can opener, it probably cut a big old gouge yeah. on one side. So that, that testimony really hits because yeah. it makes sense. Okay, so he says that when he walks up, he said that there was one body, and when I'm saying body... <laughs> non-human body was thrown up against the wall on the inside of the craft Hmm. one body was half in and half out of the craft Hmm. so in that opening and then there were three other bodies inside of the craft okay wow so we're at a total of five bodies sure at this point at least dead ones okay possibly Right. Is what I'm guessing by him saying that. Well, we assume dead, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said the the convoy loaded up the craft and the bodies and returned to base. And he said in hangar 84 is where they hid all the stuff related to the crash. Hmm. I have to remember that. Hangar 84. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. On to the next witness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this man was a pilot at the airbase. And his name was Oliver Pappy Henderson. Mm-hmm. And later in life, he told his wife that the Roswell incident was true. And he was the pilot that flew the bodies in coffins 
and wreckage to Dayton, Ohio, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Oh, yeah. I know that base. He said he saw the bodies, and he described them as small, humanoid-looking, but not like us. Wow. They were certainly shorter than we were. They had pale skin and slightly slanted eyes, but had larger heads. Hmm. You know, a lot of things about that statement are just, first of all, floor me. One, you're the pilot and you're flying this stuff. Um, First of all, I'd be scared out of my you-know-what in mine because Mm -hmm. here I am airborne with bodies of something that doesn't even exist on this planet. Right. I was about to say the same thing. I'm like, you're (laughs) in this plane, like, looking behind you. One of these things, like, pop, pop up. Now, the you, know, other, you don't know about. Oh yeah, you don't know. You stuff. assume they're dead, right. but you don't know that for sure. I mean, right. you're just you're the pilot at this point. Yeah. I say, hey, fly this crap over to Wright Patterson. Mm-hmm. Good luck to you. And you get airborne. You're like, I can just imagine flying this thing, and all of a sudden, you look, you know, behind him, and you know, you got old almond eyes there staring at you. Yeah. But the other interesting thing is Wright Patterson. Now, Wright Patterson, if you, if folks, if you don't know what Wright Patterson is. It's, it's a very, very well-known base here in the Midwest, but <clears throat> it is also the place where all the bombers, the stealth bombers are. So it's not exactly a low-secret, low-value target base. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this next witness statement is not a military person. Okay. And I, as I talk about this i want you to remember what i just said about the pilot and what he said okay see if you can recall what he was talking about because this next guy has been discredited majorly by the military of course and they you know said he was just a a wackadoo and that you know even in the later the like you know statements of them investigating the Incident, they tried to, you know, prove that he was wrong and mm-hmm. this and that. Okay. And and that was something in this 1990 report. Like they tried to come out and say it was Project Mogul. Yeah, Mogul. Mm-hmm. And that the bodies that these people thought they saw, these alien bodies, were actually just dummies. You know, that they made them shorter. That's why they said they were shorter. And they, the, the skin match, you know, they said they were pale. Well, that's why, you know, because it wasn't real. They were dummies. They were that color. And, like, the, what they say, the, like, silver, like, the suit, suit or whatever. Well, that's what we dressed them in. And, you know, the reason they saw them, you know, is because we put them in body bags to, to keep them protected. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Typical military bow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... Why are you going to go to all that trouble? You know, you don't... You just drop them out of the sky. Yeah. Okay, supposedly. Let's say that. I'm doing air quotes, people. <laughs> supposedly drop them out of the sky, and now you're suddenly worried about the protection of them in the back of a van. Yeah, yeah. Let's put them in a body bag. Let's put them in a body bag. So that they don't get... <laughs> I just dropped them 80,000 feet, but let's put them in a body bag <laughs> because just, we want to, you know, we want to preserve their, you know... It's crazy. It's crazy. And they, you know, and I'm going to read this statement from this guy and tell you all about him. They tried to discredit the people that he mentions, that they never existed, all this stuff. Of course they did, right? right. But... Yeah. I want you to try to remember previous statements that I, I've talked about, and I know there's been a lot. So, you know, yeah. if you got to rewind or yeah. do whatever you, <laughs> but you'll recognize it when I say it. For sure. 
Okay. So this guy, he was from the town. Okay. And he was Glenn Dennis. And he was a 22-year-old mortician at the Ballard Funeral Home in Roswell in July of 1947. He says, On July 7, 1947, he received a series of phone calls at the Ballard Funeral Home where he worked from the Mortuary Affairs Officer at Roswell Army Airfield. He says that the mortuary officer inquired as to the availability of child-sized caskets and procedures for preserving bodies that had been, quote, laying out in the elements. Oh, so they're getting coffins for the dummies that they're dropping from Project right. Mogul. Right. Okay, fair enough. But also, who else <laughs> talked about coffins? The pilot. The pilot, yeah. yeah absolutely mm-hmm. right. He was transporting. He specifically said coffins with alien bodies inside. Jeez. Okay. Later that day, he received an emergency ambulance call. So he also uh, worked as, he, I guess, provided ambulance service. Because, you know, it's a small town. It's 1947. Yeah. <laughs> you do multiple jobs. I mean, okay. What, but, or, uh, it wasn't that long ago that barbers were doing surgery. So Right. <laughs> so he gets this call about caskets and child-sized people and how to preserve. Mm. Okay. Then he gets a call to respond as an ambulance to the site of a minor traffic accident in Roswell. The accident victim was a, quote, airman stationed at Roswell AAF. And he transported the airman to the hospital at the base. Okay. He said as he walked into the hospital, he noticed three military box-type ambulances, one or more of which contained what appeared to be, quote, wreckage. He described the wreckage as being inscribed with odd markings or symbols and bluish-purplish in color. Now, remember, Jesse Marcel, what he recovered at the ranch was what he said was like wooden-looking pieces, but wasn't wood. Right. That had strange markings. Yep. He sure did. And something I haven't talked about is something, you know, that as an older man, he did an interview where he said, and he drew what these symbols look like. Mm-hmm. And they were purplish and pink in color. Yep. He says this in the interview which I was waiting to tell you <laughs> when we got to this because sure. it it's something that, you know, coincides. Okay. He says that some of his wreckage was... It's not his wreckage. Some of this wreckage was resting against the inside wall of the rear compartment of the ambulance, and two pieces of it, quote, looked kind of like the bottom of a canoe. So I'm guessing he's saying rounded like that. Yep. You know, yeah, flat but rounded. Yeah, and if you think the shape of like a saucer, what they're saying, yeah, that it's would got that rounded make sense. Yeah, sure does. Mm-hmm. He described the other wreckage on the floor of the ambulance as being all sharp, and as best as he could tell, it was like broken glass. Hmm. Now, what that could be, I don't know if it's the metal they're talking about, but something else I think I forgot to mention is Jesse Marcel when he went to the ranch and he had brought that box home to his family. One of the things 
which he didn't have a name for then, was these long pieces that he could shine a light through. Mm, yep. Which now we know as fiber, fiber optics. optics. Yep. <clears throat> so could that broken glass yeah. actually be the fiber optics? Absolutely. Which all of a sudden, now we got fiber optics everywhere. Oh, I've got a whole theory behind that. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, my day job, I'm a network engineer and I deal with fiber optics. And I can tell you right now, every so often I look at that and go, how the heck did we come up with this? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. And another thing to add to that, <clears throat> in my other lifetime, <laughs> I, was a, I was a medic. I was an army medic. And Nicole will back me up on this. I had what they call as an FLA, which is a big box military ambulance. It, mm-hmm. We can move four people in that or, or less. And I can tell you that we don't just, <clears throat> because of security and other reasons, we don't just throw things in there like the back of a pickup truck and take it to a local hospital. I can tell you that right now. We don't do that. Mm-mm. Anyway, just thought I'd throw that in. So, he says he also recalled observing MPs, which are military policemen, standing at the back of two of these ambulances. When he went inside the hospital, he encountered a military nurse who was assigned there and whom he was previously acquainted. He knew this lady. Okay. Okay. Which, that would make sense, small town. Yeah. The nurse looked upset. She was covering her mouth with a cloth and told him that, quote, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Just get out of here. Well, that's not ominous at all. Mm-mm. He also stated that he encountered a military doctor who was assigned to the hospital, a pediatrician with whom he was pretty good friends with, but did not speak with at that time. Having seen the wreckage in the rear of the ambulance and believing there had been an accident, he asked another officer in the hospital if there had been a plane crash. That's what you're going to assume. Well, sure. Right? Yeah. Of course. The officer whom Dennis had never seen before, asked him, quote, who in the hell are you? When he responded he was from the funeral home, the officer summoned two MPs to escort him from the hospital. (laughs) Before Dennis and the two MPs had left the hospital, he heard someone say, quote, we're not through with that SOB, bring him back here. Jesus. When Dennis turned around, he observed a red-headed captain. Hmm. Hmm, where have we heard that before? Hmm. I mean the actual son of a bitch, <laughs> or Colonel, <laughs> right? Or who Colonel. said you did not see anything? Hmm. There was no crash here. You don't go into town making any rumors that you saw anything, or that there was any crash. You could get in a lot of trouble. So Dennis, I think, was a little bit of a hothead. Oh yeah. He said he was angry about being called an sob. And he informed the redheaded officer that he was a civilian, not under his authority. And that he, meaning the redheaded officer, quote, can't do a damn thing to me. <laughs> so the redheaded officer was supposedly threatened Dennis by responding, quote, oh, yes, we can. Somebody will be picking your bones out of the sand. We Jeez. can do anything to you that we want to. In addition, a black sergeant, whom he recalled had accompanied the red-headed officer, stated, quote, he would make a real good dog food. <laughs> Jeez. After that was said, he said he was picked up arm in arm by the MPs and escorted back to his place of business. 
The following day, July 8, 1947, Dennis attempted to telephone the nurse he had seen in the hall at the hospital to find out what was going on. He stated that he was unable to reach the nurse, but did reach another nurse, a Captain Wilson, who explained to him that the nurse he was trying to contact was not on duty, but she would give a message to call him. The nurse called Dennis later that same day at the funeral home where he worked and agreed to meet with him at the officers club at Roswell AAF that afternoon. When the two met, the nurse appeared disturbed and ill. Dennis asked her to explain what was going on when they met in the hospital the day before. The nurse explained that in the course of her normal duties, she entered an examining room to get supplies and encountered two doctors whom she did not recognize that, quote, supposedly were doing a preliminary autopsy on three very mangled black little bodies. Jeez. I mean, these are the ones from Project Mobile that they dropped out of the sky, right? Right. Okay. Just making sure we're the keeping dummies, up to speed. Yeah, the dummies. Because we do autopsies on Yeah, dummies. we're going to do autopsies on these things. Anybody hinting with sarcasm? <laughs> <laughs> the doctors requested the nurse remain in the room because they needed their assistance. She allegedly explained that there was a terrible odor in the room that made both her and the doctors ill. Due to this terrible odor and inadequate ventilation, the nurse allegedly told Dennis that the autopsies were moved to another facility on the base and then everything was taken to Wright Field, now Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio. <laughs> hey, there's Wright-Patterson again. And if you remember what he said earlier, is she when he encountered her in the hospital, she had a cloth over her mouth. Yep. So that would be because of the odor. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's uh, that's about right. So she goes on to describe the little bodies in detail and even provided a diagram to him, which he won't share. She described little bodies, three to four feet in length, that had large, flexible heads and concave eyes and noses. Yeah. Yeah, that's normal. <laughs> yeah. After this meeting, Dennis claimed he never saw the nurse again, and he was told she had been shipped out the same afternoon, July 8, 1947, or the next day, July 9th. However, sometime later, Dennis received a letter from the nurse that indicated that she was in London, England. She got way out of, yeah, right. <laughs> way out of the yeah. U.S. <laughs> he stated that he tried to respond to the nurse, but his letter was returned stamped, returned to sender, and deceased. Hmm. Well, I'm going to say this. I think uh, a few minutes ago I said the F word under my breath. So we've already got an E on this episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, she probably was like, I've had enough of this shit. Yeah. You know? After receiving this letter, he inquired at the base about the nurse and was told by Captain Wilson that she didn't know where the nurse was. But there was a rumor that she and several other nurses had been killed in a plane crash while on a training mission. Hmm. Why, why is a nurse on a training mission? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. No, maybe she's getting dropped out of the sky from Project Mobile, you know. Yeah. Some years later, Dennis stated that he visited the unidentified military pediatrician he had seen at the hospital. The pediatrician had since left the military and set up practice in Farmington, New Mexico. Dennis said he and the pediatrician discussed the incident of years past, but was stopped short when the pediatrician told him, that he was consulted regarding this incident, but that it was completely out of his field of medicine, then ended the discussion. Wow. Yeah. 
That's a very large statement. Usually you just yeah. get little sentences and stuff, but this guy was not military. No. So something about military, which you can say, especially in 1947, people took that very seriously. Well, sure. You know, protecting the government's, our nation's secrets, so they didn't talk about it. Most of these statements come from once they're very old and they're like, well, yeah. you know. It's time, and and I think usually there's a period of years you're supposed to stay quiet. Uh, seventy four, right. if I remember Which, right. That keeps it where nobody can talk about yes. it because <laughs> nobody lives to pee. I will neither confirm nor deny that I've signed an SF eighty six. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Yes. This guy was not military; he was civilian. So he's like, I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Even though he got threatened. I mean, he he waited a while. I'm not saying he did it like the next day because they would have done something. Well, sure. But he didn't have that duty that he needed no. to keep quiet. No, he did not. So he he spoke a lot, and he really didn't get to see bodies or anything like that. He's just going off of what these people have said. He did say that he saw wreckage, however, and he yeah. said that he got called about this. Well, he also got called about coffins. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know? I mean? But he doesn't, he can't say that he saw anything right. necessarily. Right. But he did help find the International UFO Museum and Research Center. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. To be a mortician, you know, I'm just putting myself in issues, you know. <clears throat> I'm a mortician in, in a small community. Um, I get a call from the government, you know, the military. And I don't, let's just say, I don't know a thing about them. And I jump in there and all with good intentions, mm-hmm. carry my butt down to the, to the hospital and I'm trying to help them out. And all I've got this redheaded jackass telling me to keep my mouth shut because I'm not supposed to see anything, but yet you just called me to bring you three coffins. Get the heck out. Exactly. And child sized. Yeah. Child sized. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. No, it sure doesn't. So we've come kind of to the end of the witness statements, except for Jesse Marcel, which he is kind of like the fall guy. Yeah. For this whole incident. He was sent out there, an intelligence officer, to recover this stuff, takes it home to his family. He sees metal that he can't break. He can't hit with a sledgehammer. He can't cut. It just goes right back into shape. He comes out with this stuff. He doesn't know what it is. This fiber optics right he finds this piece of wood or what he thinks looks like wood but is not wood right with markings on it right yep has no idea now one would think why didn't you keep some of that yeah so the great story you know mystery is did he keep a piece we don't actually know for sure now we did watch a history channel that's Um, a great one yeah it was wonderful yeah Three episodes long, very long episodes. At least an hour episodes. and a half a piece, yes. yeah. It is very interesting. So, Jesse Marcel's family, obviously, he's passed now. Mm-hmm. And I think his son has passed. Yes, so, correct. this is his grandchildren mm-hmm. found in some of his military, you know, belongings, mm-hmm. his journal. And it's dated around the years of Roswell. Yep. But it's very cryptic. There are not, I mean, they don't think even Jesse wrote it, that it's someone else's that he was close to in the 509. Yep. 
and they think that it's coded. Yeah. They can't break it. They've tried to break it, but they think somebody's trying to tell somebody something. Sure. And there is one witness on this documentary that talks about how, like, but weeks before or months before Jesse Marcel passed, he said he had a piece of the ship. Yeah. And he had hit it. It's very interesting. Of course, he passed before anybody could actually see it. I don't know. And there was, you know, there was so many different... And and like I said before, there is so much to this. So, so much. And I, you know, if I go through everything, we will be sitting here for hours (laughs) and hours and hours. I mean, we're already an hour. Yeah. I mean, so I'm not going to do that. If you're interested in this, I suggest you go. Now, I will say one thing. In my research, if you go online to Google, which is something I start always start with, but then I part from that and go, you know, but just to get the basic facts, sure. usually. When you look up Roswell, you're going to get, like, FBI reports that have been released. You're going to get this 1990 thing that they, the Air Force released saying that, oh, we, re- we went back, we investigated all the stuff, and, you know, it was a weather balloon. Yeah. And this is the reason that people saw this. And this is the reason, you know, like we talked about the dummies and all that stuff before. That's what you're going to find because that's what I found. And I was like, surely not. You know, why is there such a, there's got to be more to this. And I dug and I dug and I dug and I dug. And we watched this, you know, documentary. And I found witness statements and I found all this different stuff. But you have to dig to find it. They do not once you knowing about it still yep so there's a reason why they don't want us knowing and what and there was two different statements one was by Jesse Marcel one was by now I can't remember it may be somebody that I didn't mention because this is like one of the only things that he said sure to his family the world is not ready to know what happened yeah and that there would be social upheaval if they knew, especially in 1947. Yeah, I mean... But those are the things they won't talk about that they do know about. So what do they know? And the fact, you know, like, things have happened and time passes and, you know, they think, okay, society's ready to know about this. And they'll tell, tell us about certain things, certain UFOs that they see that they can't explain. But Roswell is still a thing. Why is it still a thing? Something huge happened. For sure. I mean, if that one person that walked up and saw the dead bodies and aliens just walking around with military members there, right there, what is going on? Yeah, I hear you. And for me, I guess wrapping it up for me, I can tell you that... This is why when people say to me it's a government cover-up mm-hmm. for some things and it's so perfect, there's no way I agree with that. Because they can't possibly. Right, because they can't. <laughs> we, they, You just can't. Well, there's they tried to ways. silence everybody. Well, they tried, sure. But you know, you're going to tell. I mean, you can't go your entire life and not say something to somebody. No, of course you will. I mean, they're going to scare you like they did instead mm-hmm. of all the kill you and kill all your family and they kept them quiet for a very long time yeah they did what they were supposed to they they accomplished their mission oh yeah because now i mean they waited and you know that red-headed colonel's probably passed oh, now sure, i mean yeah. he's probably an older man because yeah. he was you know and then that Ramey, he's the one that had him covered up but 
if you think about it, Marcel's, um, the next guy up, what was it? Blanchard. Blanchard, yeah. Mm-hmm. He he had it put out in the paper sure the next day. Like yeah. They made a statement. This is a, he this, was going to tell. He sure was. And then it was reversed real yeah, quick. Well, it was reversed. just a weather balloon. And that's why when, when we say government cover-up, <clears throat> folks, I can tell you right now, the government has a very difficult time doing blanket cover-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to understand there's so many moving pieces, so many different people involved from different walks of life, from different, and, you know, you, you've got the, the ground grunt to the, to the four-star general. And everywhere in between. And nobody can tell the same story twice and keep their mouth shut for shit. Okay, just what it is. So what gets aggravating to me, and I'm going to jump on my soapbox for a minute. You know, it's of all the things that we've ever covered paranormally, UFOs, I mean, whether you believe in aliens, any of that stuff, it doesn't matter. UFOs are just, it's a classification it's unidentified flying object. Mm-hmm. They exist. Now, whether you believe in UFO or in the alien part of it, hey, whatever. Um, I know what I believe. I absolutely believe they exist because I think that, one, if you look at the, <laughs> you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out we were this with technology for so long and we didn't really have much. You know, the phone was a big invention. Car was a big invention. We made good strides in mm-hmm. technology, but then sometime after this, pew, it shot yep. straight up like a rocket. Well, in one of the, you know, on this is not stuff I found, but this was on the documentary. There's one of these people talking, and it was, it was of course, not one of the actual people. It was like a granddaughter or grandson said that they said the material from the spaceship is what they based the help me with this because I always get it wrong. Which which, one? which jet? Oh, stealth fighter. The stealth fighter. Mm-hmm. That that material that they used for the stealth fighter was the same material as what was in the spaceship. Now you ready for me to blow your mind for a second? Where did they take all this stuff? Right, Patterson. And where are the stealth fighters and the stealth bombers well, stationed? I'm assuming there because I don't that know is that. Correct, but. That is yeah. where they're at. That's interesting to me. And, I mean, you know, we looked them up after we, we saw this, and he showed me the pictures of it, and it eerily looks like a spaceship, Yeah. this jet. I mean, of course, it's got, you know, the wings and stuff like all of our planes kind of do. But the, the center of it, the thing I noticed was very oval-shaped. Yep. Which really threw me for a loop I mean, when I, I saw that. The 40s... Up until that point, all our aircraft were prop propelled. You know, big spinny, yeah. right? Well, then We're, we've got this, that, mm-hmm. and they talk about the fiber optics. That thing exploded. And then, you know, in the 50s, the beginning of the 50s is when they came out with, what, the microwave. Mm-hmm. All those types of things. So what, you know, all these things, and that was, had to deal with radiation. Yep, right? sure did. Yep. So yep. what all they, I mean, they know, somebody knows. Of course they do. And they the, do. I don't think they're ever going to tell us because, I mean, the thing that I kind of laughed at is this interview with this Air Force, um, whatever he was, captain, whatever he was, I don't know, 
about the 1990s report that they, you know, said they went back and investigated everything they knew, oh, all a, the paperwork, he was a general. all that stuff, mm-hmm. right? That it was just a weather balloon. Mm-hmm. And these, you can see these reporters' faces, like, yeah, he's full of crap. Yeah. And they're asking him all these different questions, you know, like, well, what about the people that said that they saw bodies? And like, well, they were just dummies. It's like. Okay, they said they were walking around. Like, you know, they like yeah. came back at him. And he's like, well, I, I can't I can't tell you what they were thinking. You know, just like, I don't have an answer for you because this is bull. Sorry, guys. Bullshit. <laughs> this is no, bullshit I'm sorry. I'm We spewing. already have to put an E on that. And so. you can see it in his eyes yeah. that he's lying. Yeah. I mean, you can tell when people are lying. You can tell he's just giving a story. It's not true. Yeah. You know, so I just, for them to continue in the 90s. To cover up Roswell when they know most people know. Yeah. They're full of it. Well, and that's the other thing is that, especially in 2023 when we're recording this, it's getting to the point that the military has pretty much said guys are out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've shown us videos now. Well, we've got phones. We've yeah. got videos in our pocket. Right. We all got the studios time. in our pocket. So it's a lot harder to say, yeah. oh, this is this and this is yeah. this, you know? Well, I don't know, folks. I mean, <clears throat> this is kind of one of those points where we kind of pivot it to you guys i mean i think for nicole and i we're we're pretty well entrenched in that we believe that i do now yeah. i like i said before before doing this i was always 50 50 with roswell because i'm like yeah military you know that would make sense for that time period mm-hmm. it very well could have been but not after no what i found and and the the fact is that these accounts match up the coffin story matched up the from people that never even met possibly met each other like jesse marcel never met this mortuary guy nope he never saw him mm-hmm. i'm sure the guy would say something yeah. if he had seen jesse marcel he didn't see him right about the colors matching on the wreckage he said purple jesse marcel in that which he gave an interview later in his life to this woman that was doing a, a college paper and when he drew the I-beam, or what he called it, and the symbols, he colored it pink and purple. He sure did. And the symbols were more just like slashes. And like, and the lady actually went and looked it up. She sure did. <clears throat> and they were like ancient symbols for travel. Yep. And, and if they you, were all over the craft, apparently. Yep. And if you think about it, way back in ancient times... They were being visited. Yeah. I mean, you talk about Egypt, Mm -hmm. all these places. Like, how did they build all this stuff? We still, you know, are very iffy on... And, I mean, there's even hieroglyphics and there's, you know, cave drawings of things in the sky. Right. So this has been going on for a long time. Absolutely. And it's not the first time. Um, My curiosity, and I have a theory about it. You know, we talked about all the... Things that happened right before this crash, you know, all the sightings they had seen them in Washington, they'd seen them all in the West there, and then especially in New Mexico, they were seeing stuff like crazy. Why were there so many UFOs there at the time? And this is my theory. I'm gonna pitch this again because I'm very into this story. The podcast we did on UFO in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Go listen to it. <laughs> no it's plug. still my number one. I love Ro- the Roswell stuff. It's, you know, intriguing, but it, it hits me harder. If you've listened to that podcast, it's all about, you know, these 60 children seeing 
beings and a, a ship, you know, land in their schoolyard and they gave them mental images and but basically to tell them to take care of the earth, you know, stop with all the technology, all that stuff. You're going to destroy yourself, basically. Mm-hmm. That's it in a nutshell. Well, what were they doing at Roswell? At well, it wasn't just Roswell. It was that whole southern, yeah. Right. It was, you know, we had the nuclear weapon. Yep. We were sending up weather balloons to spy on Russia. They were probably trying to do the same thing to us. Were they all coming in trying to figure out what we were doing? Are you trying to be dangerous right now? Yeah. Is this something we need to monitor? Because that's that's what I kind of take off of it. Ever since I heard about the Zimbabwe thing, I'm like, they've probably been watching us for a very long time. Are these people so stupid that they're going to implode themselves? You know, why were there so many at that time? And then that thunderstorm, I think, happened, and maybe lightning struck the craft. We don't know. Probably. Just from the, like, witness statements of what they said, there was lightning, and then all of a sudden, this boom, right? Well, and you're right. And that's nuclear testing. I mean, mm-hmm. we were getting ready to build uh, a couple of things called Fat Man and Little Boy. And if you don't know anything about history, you should look that up. Well. Actually, there's a movie coming out right now. It's going to come out. It's uh, So... <clears throat> if you don't know what this is, is the Manhattan Project, okay? And there were scientists, uh, one very important one, Oppenheimer, who basically, uh, and you should hear, honestly, you should read his own accounting of it because it's amazing. Um, but he basically said, as I have become death, he created an enormous monster with a nuclear weapon. And they were testing in the White Sands, New Mexico, and... Yeah, if I was an alien uh, species and I knew that that basically these ants, because you got to figure for them, we're probably like ants running around the, you know, running around the floor of, of, a, of a dirt farm for them. So while all of a sudden these ants have this incredible capability to create such a high level of destruction. So, yeah, I would think that if I was a, a, a being from another planet and I was looking in on them, and I knew all of a sudden they were creating these weapons mm-hmm. of extreme mass destruction. You bet your ass I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I mean, that's just a theory that I have. Yeah. It's just weird that there was so much activity before this happened. Yep. You know? I mean, I don't know. It's, a, it's just a... No, it's it's absolutely... You're absolutely right. Inquiry. I think the same <laughs> you know? thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most of these witnesses, we don't have the actual people. We got recordings of Jesse Marcel talking about it, but... You know, the family's just like, yeah. what, you know, they had no idea that they were responsible for holding on to this knowledge for years and to protect them, Yeah, protect, you know, their parents and now them. And, and it's just sad. It you is hold, sad. Your whole life hiding, especially Lord knows what they knew because they didn't reveal everything. No. They just wanted people to know that it was real. And that's part of the agreement you do when... When you were put in a position where you you have access to secret information, Mm -hmm. you know that you are going to die, and that information will never hear other people's ears. You know that. It's just, it's incredibly, I don't know. Yeah. But the town of Roswell now, (laughs) um, they've been cashing in on this alien stuff for (laughs) a long time. Which, interestingly enough, I've never been there. I really like to go sometime. We haven't. I mean... 
the first time I heard about it, which people are going to laugh, my age when I was, uh, I don't know, junior high, teenager, I can't remember, was that Roswell TV show, you know, it was oh, like yeah. a teeny bop. I almost forgot about that, yeah. Show. Okay, yeah. And I just remember the guy was cute, and he was supposed to be an <laughs> alien that had crashed, right? And he got involved in the school and dating and all that stuff, but that's the first time it's I'd like ever heard WB of it. like a WB show, wasn't it? <laughs> Along with like so. Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yeah, because I think it came on either before or after Dawson's Creek, Good which is Lord. why Why do I remember that? <laughs> I don't know. I know why I remember it, but I don't know why you remember it. <laughs> I was in the military at the time. What the heck am I remembering that? No, but like it, it you know, it yeah, was a I cute know. show, and that was the first time I was like, "What's Roswell?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> why is he an alien? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but I was a kid, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, but it is the home of the International UFO Museum and Research Center, which, like, you know, the mortuary guy, you know, founded. And even the local Walmart decorates its walls and front windows with green skin, large-headed aliens. That's awesome. Yeah. They're, the Civic Seal uh, has an artist rendering of an alien. And even the local McDonald's in town has spacecraft-based accessories to look like a ship preparing to take off for some distant galaxy. Oh, that's freaking cool. Yeah, we gotta go. Yeah, but we don't need to be sending McDonald's into space, people. It's already <laughs> bad enough down here. We don't need to Oh, God. Um, along the town's main street, um, there's toy aliens, flying saucers, and other extraterrestrial um, things that are sold in local shops. So mm-hmm. it's just, they just are banking on it. Um, TripAdvisor does have a Roswell UFO tour. Of course. Um, and I'm going to read you the thing from their website in case you're interested. Uh, the tales are legendary. The history is real. The Roswell incident unfolded in real places, newsrooms, radio stations, military facilities, and living rooms that still exist today. With the Roswell UFO tour, you will stand where the witnesses stood, walk where they walked, and, if you believe, occupy the same spaces on Earth that extraterrestrial artifacts and alien travelers once occupied. Hmm. The tour is approximately two hours long, using a 10-passenger van to transport you from place to place. During a portion of the tour, you will walk around historic downtown locations for 20 to 30 minutes. You will visit the historic Roswell Army Airfield and also see historic homes related to the 1947 incident. Due to the distance from town and lack of any visible artifacts, the Roswell UFO, UFO tour does not visit any crash sites. Which, because it's way out <laughs> yeah, in the desert. Yeah, as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I found funny, which I didn't plan this, it just happened to fall at the exact time. <laughs> Serendipitous. Yes. From June 30th, which is in a few days, to July 2nd, they are having the Roswell UFO Festival in Roswell, New Mexico. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So if you got a few days to get out there, it'd probably be really cool to visit. Yeah. And I'll read from, from the actual uh, site. It says, join us this year from June 30th through July 2nd for the annual Roswell Daily Records official Roswell incident at the Roswell Convention Center. We are featuring the top UAP historians, journalists, investigators, a scientist, and a former Ministry of Defense UAP investigator from the UK. Friday night from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Cielo Cielo. Mm -hmm. Grande Sports Complex for HICE CE5 with Melinda Leslie and Astral then 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., the night sky watch with Ben Hansen. Saturday night at the Roswell Convention Center from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. for the Skystream live tour with Mark D. Antonio. 
Roswell Daily Record Film Film Festival from Saturday, July 1st and Sunday, July 2nd at the Allen Theaters Galaxy 8. For more detailed information about the Roswell Daily Records Roswell Incident, please visit roswellincident.com. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And if you guys don't know who Ben Ben Watson, right? Um, I think so. Is that I what I said? I just want to make sure it's right. Yeah. Well, that's the guy that was a, uh, a secret a- or a special agent in the FBI and then re- turned into basically a paranormal guru. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. That's really yeah. neat. I just, it was so weird that I, yeah. you know, was looking at and I was like, oh, what a great, this week. That's what a great cool. accident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. But I mean, you know, you can visit there and, and I mean, the crash site, of course, you can't yeah. really go to, but there's, there's nothing. not much to see there anyway. So. Desert. Yeah. Desert now, but it would be kind of cool just to be where it was. Yeah, it would be. Just mm-hmm. once, you know, go check it out. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, folks, can't really put better bow on it than that. I mean, happy accident and can't, can't do much better than that. So, um, again, thank you so much for, for stopping by again and, um, sorry, we didn't quite have an episode for you last week, but I think we made up for it. We, we kind of gave you a double packed, mm-hmm. <laughs> packed episode. Um, and you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully bring you a good one next week. Uh, I think next week marks our 20th episode and it will be our season ending episode. Um, but don't worry. Season two starts pretty quickly thereafter. Um, so we'll try to give you something a little bit special t- next week and then uh, we'll start season two with a bang. So you got some pretty good episodes coming up, mm-hmm. but um, but don't worry, it won't be a huge break. Just long enough for us to figure out the direction of season two and kind of how we want to do some things. So, but at any rate, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Please follow us on our Facebook Generation X Paranormal Podcast, or simply facebook.com forward slash Gen X Paranormal. And if you'd like to support us, you can join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Generation X Paranormal. Thank you.